Episode 6, Kant and Deontologicalism. Kant was born in 1724, which makes him about 24 years older than Bentham. Perhaps, surprisingly, Kant's book on ethics, the Groundwork on a Metaphysics of Morals, was published in 1785, roughly the same time as Bentham was publishing his ideas on utilitarianism. I mention this time frame to place Kant in the general discussion of ethics that were happening. He certainly knew of utilitarian ideas. While Bentham is generally spoken of as the creator of utilitarianism, the first stab at the idea came from an Italian philosopher, Cesare Beccaria, in 1764. Kant is really reacting against another British philosopher, David Hume. Hume, along with many other British thinkers, led a great push for an empirically-based philosophy. Empiricism comes from the ancient Greek term empiron. It means experience. These philosophers make their starting assumption that all ideas are derived from sense data, things which we experience. The mind itself is a tabula rasa, a clear slate, waiting to receive impressions from the sensible world. Assisted by imagination, our mind can create all kinds of ideas which might not relate to the world itself. For example, I can draw a picture of a unicorn, even though they don't really exist, and I've never seen one, really, but I have seen a horse, and I've seen horns on animals, and I can certainly visualize the idea of a one-horned equine animal. While empiricism, or variations of it, still has many followers today, it really bothered Kant. In fact, he said that, he says that it was Hume who woke him from his philosophic slumbers. It took him many years to sort out an answer to Hume, but in 1781 he published his famous book, A Critique of Pure Reason. The issue of empiricism that really bothered Kant comes to a head with Hume. Hume presses home the logical implications of empiricism, and the conclusions are perhaps shocking. For example, the idea of causality. We have an idea of cause and effect relations between things. But for Hume, this doesn't come from experience. There is no special sense datum which our mind can, can perceive as A causing B. We experience event A, and event B follows closely in a space-time continuum, but there's no flash of causality. There's any sort of sense data that proves a causal relationship. So quite logically, from their starting suppositions, Hume concludes that causal relations are merely the product of our mind our imagination. The world is a complex place, and sometimes our imagination does indeed project causal relations between events where no such link exists. The fancy term for this error of thinking is the post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy, a fancy Latin name for after that, because of that. I can give an example from my youth my father gave me my first car. It was, a, it was an old one. He moved on to something newer, but it was a 
1967 Chrysler Imperial, the, the biggest car Chrysler ever made. But the really cool feature of this car was a special floor button. Cars at that time had a floor button for changing headlights from high beam to low beam or whatever, back and forth. But this car had a second button, much higher on the floor than the first button. This button changed the radio station. It started the search or scan function for the next strongest signal. Now, because this car could easily carry six or eight people uh, before the, the age of mandatory seatbelts, I often did long road trips with friends from high school. To keep myself amused, I would mention this very odd feature of the car. If a passenger placed his finger on the decal on the of the dashboard and another finger on their nose, the radio station would change. Of course, this idea is preposterous. There could not be any causal connection between these points, the decal and their nose. But they were all very astonished to find that it worked. They could test it repeatedly. It always worked. I would make two observations about this experience. Hume is right that our imaginations can project causal relations on closely associated events. We do this all the time. Kant, or even Nietzsche, might even point out that we must see the events of our world as causally related. Hume is also right that there is no sense data to tell us or to confirm to us that the events are causally linked. But the changing of the radio stations was causally linked to the button on the floor being pressed. We experience causality all the time. If I took a stone and I tossed it through a window, you would most likely say the impact of the stone caused the window to break. If a teacher wrapped your knuckles with a ruler, you would most likely say that the impact caused the pain. You would be asserting in your mind a clear causal connection, and I doubt that anyone would for a moment think that the connection was just imaginary. Kant attempts to explain why we must see the world in terms of causality, along with things like space and time, the unity of things, uh, numbers, and, and a bunch of other concepts. It is a challenging task, and his critique of pure reason is worth a good read, but it would be a huge digression for me to try to explain the critique of pure reason here. Hume made a similar move with moral theory. The moral correctness of an action or event is not part of the sense data, just as causality is not part of the sense data. Instead, we might experience an event and discover that we have some feelings emerging inside us. Maybe those feelings are positive. Maybe they're negative. We then might find that it impels us to say something. That's wrong. That's good. So we make moral judgments. But this approach has some unattractive implications. Ultimately, we are left with ethical relativism. There is nothing good or bad in the world. We just have funny feelings inside. After finding an answer to Hume's causal theories, he turns his attention to tackle Hume's challenge to ethics. And so, in 1785, he published his Groundwork on Metaphysics of Morals, and I will talk about his approach to ethics in the next podcast.